0: Hello, and welcome to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. This month, we have a special edition podcast episode for you. I'm super excited to share this. As you know, I've been working on my dissertation through Arizona State University, and I've been so grateful that all of you allowed me to share my experiences during the spring 2023 episode of this podcast. So what I thought I would do is take this month, since I defended on September 27th and passed, to actually share my dissertation with all of you and my findings as well as the contributions to the online learning community. Thank you so much for allowing me the time to actually share all of this with you and hopefully add to the instructional design community. So the name of my dissertation is Intentional Active Learning in Online Courses, an Exploration of the Integration of Active Learning through the ICAP framework in online course design and its relationships with students, instructional designers, and faculty. During this dissertation, I used what's called action research. And in action research, we actually choose a problem of practice. My problem of practice started with faculty struggling with transitioning face-to-face active learning strategies to the online modality. So this can often be seen as active learning is often the first removed in an online course. This is because sometimes those pieces of the face-to-face class don't necessarily transfer directly to an online class. And so faculty are sometimes inexperienced in how to actually design an online course and take those activities and those discussions and that type of thing that are done in the face-to-face classroom and put them online. In addition, uh, due to COVID-19 and the emergency remote learning that that was experienced in in March 2020, as well as fall 2020, there's been a lot of online learning misconceptions that have been exacerbated. making the change to online learning a lot different. And even since then, we've noticed as instructional designers that the focus on synchronous sessions, which is not a bad thing, um, has actually increased. And so all of this kind of says that this problem starts with being able to transition face-to-face active learning strategies to the online modality. So some of my research context includes um, the online enrollment in the United States has continued to increase. Um, In 2016, it was 14.7% for students that were enrolled fully online, whereas in 2019, the percentage went to 17.6. So we know that online learning enrollment has been increasing. There's some constraints, though, that have been impacting the faculty acceptance of online learning. For example, a number of faculty members continue to believe that online learning is not a strong alternative to face-to-face courses, and this is seen in Hodges AL and Seaman AL. When we think about it, if faculty don't have the time or the instructional um, uh, expertise or the there's a resistance to change, this can also add to that faculty acceptance of online learning. And Each semester, most higher ed institutions actually add student evaluations at the end of each course. And if a faculty member has positive student evaluations, they're gonna be less likely to wanna make a switch because what they've done has always worked. And finally, there's often a lack of support and resources from the university. Not all universities have instructional designers, or if they do, they work in a different way than what I'm experienced as in a boutique style instructional design process. And I'll talk about a little bit about what that boutique style looks like later. So in UNC Charlotte's design and development, we have three separate cohorts, which is fall, spring, and summer. And in each cohort, there's 18 to 20 faculty members um, that are divided amongst four instructional designers. So each instructional designer are working on four to five projects, each cohort. The courses and faculty are proposed by the department chairs and they are assigned to our specific department or our specific team by distance education. In our design and development process, we begin with an intake meeting um, with our director of the course production team. And then the courses are assigned to each of the instructional designers. There's four really big phases within our design and development process. These include onboarding, a course planning, which is really just thinking about the course, a course development where we're actually building the course, and course polishing, which is all about just those last minor details that we need to flush out. And then finally, we have a closeout just to celebrate this process that we have gone through. So in my action research uh, process of my dissertation, I actually did three separate sets of research. The first was reconnaissance in fall 20, where I explored active learning um, with faculty and their interaction techniques. And by doing that, I used a fall faculty interview and student survey. And then in fall 21, I actually did a practice implementation where I explored the relationship between implementing active learning strategies and student STEM identity. And through this, I actually used student reflections and the survey. And then my actual dissertation study was in um, spring 2022 which explored the faculty and instructional design relationship while using a specific type of active learning course planning map. And in that round of research, I used faculty interviews, a faculty survey, and instructional designer reflections. There's four really driving theories for my um, dissertation. And those include social constructivism, active learning, the ICAP, which is interactive, constructive, active, and passive framework. And then finally STEM identity. Not all of these theories were used in each separate cycle of research, but they each had an impact on where the research went. So to start off with uh, STEM identity, um, when, when students choose a major or a minor in higher education, they unknowingly become part of a disciplinary community. So for example, when I went into my undergrad and I began as um, an elementary education teacher, I began, became part of this disciplinary community of educators. In the sake of uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM, um, students become part of the STEM disciplinary community. And the interactions and collaboration within the STEM disciplinary community leads to community members feeling a sense of STEM identity. So STEM identity is actually a sub theory of social identity and science identity. It has a huge potential to impact students' success and aspirations in the STEM field. And it can be highly heavily influenced by peers, parents, teachers and stereotypes encountered by the student. So the experience that the student is having in all of their courses in their program with their peers has a huge impact on how they view themselves um, with using a stem identity. Social constructivism is another theory that um, was a driving theory in my research so. In social constructivism, knowledge is constructed through social and cultural interactions among groups of individuals. This constructed knowledge is then assimilated or into individuals' lives. And social constructivism really promotes the, act, the idea of active learning. The limitations of social constructivism is it assumes learning only occurs during social, active, or hands-on learning. And there can also be misconceptions because there's often a reliance on social learning. Meaning that um, when I was doing my dissertation, it was really important to promote a positive relationship between myself as the instructional designer and the faculty member um, to make sure that those misconceptions were either um, debunked or to make sure that we were going on through the same page. It was also important to note that the active learning for my particular dissertation was really the conversations that were happening between myself and the faculty member. In active learning, in order for learning to occur, students must engage with the content outside of just reading or just watching a video. So the framework that actually helped me really define what active learning was in my study was the ICAP, or Interactive Constructive Active Passive Framework. The ICAP framework is a type of active learning that focuses on the student's own levels of engagement. And it really works to define and guide engagement opportunities that students can have while learning the content of a course. So to begin, the passive level is really the least active. That's where students are either just logging in, reading through a page on um, whatever learning management system you have, or just watching a video. And there's really not anything being done with that. The next step would be active, where students are actually taking guided note takers. Maybe they're taking notes on their own, or maybe they're really thinking through things and then writing things down as they're reading or watching something. Constructive is actually taking that information that they've learned by going through the instructional materials or the content and doing something with it. So maybe they're creating a concept map to actually show how things are interrelated. Maybe they're doing a self-reflection to think about how did their prior knowledge or how was their prior knowledge activated and how did that connect to what they learned and how did that make them grow as a learner or as a person. And then finally we have interactive, which is the most active. That's where students are taking their reflections, they're taking the concept maps that they created, and they're actually talking to their peers about it. And when they talk to their peers, they hear different perspectives and unique ideas and experiences from each person, which then allows that information to be assimilated again into their own knowledge. And so really the ICAP framework is different types of levels of engagement that allows um, learners to engage with the instruction materials at different ways. So the reconnaissance research that I started off with um, in fall 20, um, really explored how faculty thought about active learning. And so what I found were that faculty struggled with defining active learning. And the literature really supported this in the sense that active learning really doesn't have a true definition. It's based on everybody's own experiences and perspectives. The other thing that I found was that discussion boards are often used in online courses as an active learning strategy. And that's really the only way that faculty really use um, interaction between students is this use of the discussion board. So they're taking this discussion that they're taking in face-to-face and trying to translate that fully into the online um, modality using discussion boards. Another finding I found was that large class sizes prohibited the use of active learning strategies. And then finally, what I found was that online student participants actually rated relationships with their faculty higher than with their students. Some of the lessons learned that I um, had during the reconnaissance research was when I was writing the survey, I actually adopted a survey and revised it. And I did not take as many notes as to why or how I moved questions around or how I reworded them. And so I realized that as I was analyzing that data, it was really important for me to take those notes to then help me analyze the data as to why I group things in different ways. In the dissertation note, in the dissertation cycle, I actually took really extensive notes for how any language edits impacted the overall survey, which then allowed me to do data analysis a lot easier. The other piece was those reciprocated relationships that I spoke to. Students' feelings towards relationships built in the classroom were strongest when their interactions were reciprocated. So if we think about this in terms of student-to-faculty interaction, when a student emails a faculty member, that faculty member emails them back, and then they create that relationship between themselves and the faculty. In discussion boards online, oftentimes students are posting a post, responding to two peers, and never returning back to that discussion board. And so that's why those interactions aren't as strong or those relationship factors aren't as strong because they're not getting reciprocated conversations throughout that discussion board. So in the next round of research, it was really important for me to make sure that there was scaffolded relevant discussion questions that allowed for conversations between students. So in my practice implementation, which occurred during fall 21, I was really Looking at the relationship between students and their own STEM identity after implementing two specific uh, levels of engagement of the ICAP framework, and those two were interactive and constructive. Um, the intervention in this case was I actually worked with a STEM computer science faculty member, which was designed and development designed and developed as an asynchronous online course, and we intentionally embedded those active learning strategies. We used the constructive level to have students actually go through the content that they were going through. So, that was reading something, watching something, and then they actually worked on the lab individually. And that lab was the application of those uh, instructional materials that students read through um, earlier in that module. The interactive piece was then students were able to have conversations after going through that lab. And those questions were um, thinking about what knowledge did I bring? What was I struggling with? Um, what new knowledge did I take away? Are there any areas that are still unclear? And so this allowed students to have the opportunity to learn, apply, discuss, and reflect all within one module. The conclusions for this were, unfortunately, there was a low level of participants um, and students enrolled. And so at the beginning of the course, there was about six students enrolled, and by the end, there was only about one or two. And so for this particular study, the intervention had no impact on a student's STEM identity. However, Using the student reflections after they went through the lab and then actually had conversations with their peers, we found that peer interactions after a tough assignment were actually really positive for students. And some of the responses in their reflections were, after talking with my peer, I took away that I understood and could have probably done well on the assignment if I had tried harder. Or they got affirmation or reaffirmation that the assignment was frustrating and it was way too time consuming to train the models. And another uh, student actually said, I realized after the peer had pointed it out that the things I had become hung up on were were considerably less points than the thing I got hung up on on the last minute and probably could have resolved if I had more time. And so students were able to kind of calm themselves down as they talked to their peers to say, yeah, this assignment was really hard and here's why or students actually use those opportunities or those conversations to share their screen with one another and have conversations back and forth and say, well, how did you do this? And problem-solve and critically think by themselves. So some of the lessons learned from this were in that particular round of research, I actually was using the ICAP framework as a very prescriptive way um, of saying, we need to have a constructive level, we need to have an interactive level and we need to have active levels. And instead of doing that, For my dissertation cycle I actually thought about the ICAP as a framework for reflection rather than using specific saying you need to have this many constructive level and this many interactive level and so my in my dissertation cycle research of spring 2022 there's actually really two things that have come out of this the first is the collaborative active learning instructional design model that I'll speak to in a in a bit Um, this model is a collaborative between the instructional designer and a client or a faculty member or a subject matter expert. It really encourages active learning from the beginning of the design or in the planning phase of the online course design process. The other side of that is this application of active learning course planning map. So from my research, um, I was able to actually use a CLERS planning map that incorporated active learning and discuss it from the faculty's perspective using faculty interviews um, and a faculty survey. So, first, let's talk about the Collaborative Active Learning Instructional Design Model or CAL ID. So, in this case, let's define what an instructional designer actually is. A professional who works directly with faculty to provide pedagogical and instructional design consultation to support effective and innovative delivery of academic credit courses to online students. And that is actually from um, where I work as an instructional designer, which is the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. For the CalID model to actually work, there has to be a very specific type of online course design and development. Which means there has to be at least two phases within this development, a course planning phase where faculty are not building anything in their course, they're really just thinking and planning out their course. Then there's a course development phase. There must also be collaboration between an instructional designer and a faculty member, and there must be weekly meetings or some sort of check-ins that are occurring on a regular basis between the faculty member and instructional designer. Um, as you all know, one of the ways that I actually collected data for this is um, by using this podcast "Be an instructional design rockstar to share my own thoughts, feelings and reflections um, as I went through this process in spring 2022 using the active learning course planning map and this model actually came out from analyzing those reflections that I had during um, that semester. So in order to analyze my data, I actually transcribed and reviewed all of this in a Google Doc. So I transcribed all of my reflections that I um, shared with uh, my listeners. And then I did a preliminary exploratory analysis to look for emerging themes. The data was then uploaded into uh, NVivo, which is a qualitative data analysis software. And I did a line by line initial or open coding analysis. This allowed me to remain open to exploring whatever theoretical possibilities may emerge from the data. And it allowed me um, to look for similarities and differences throughout the entire design and pro- design process from the instructional design uh, perspective. And then um, finally, I did a theoretical coding analysis to really look for themes that were coming out of my reflections. And this is where the ID model was so there's really three pillars through um, the CalID model, which include the active learning course planning map, collaboration, and reflection. The active learning course planning map is something that was created with my team and I at UNC Charlotte. It's a course planning resource that prompts faculty to choose a level of engagement as described by the ICAP framework. So if you're familiar with instructional design work, you know that a course planning map really usually includes like an organization, of some sort of how you're going to introduce the topics, making sure that the course goals or module goals are actually, or objectives, if you truly are an instructional designer, um, actually aligns with the types of activities, assignments, those types of things that are in the course, and how that aligns with instructional materials. So that's kind of the main core things that the course planning map actually creates. What I did was I added another column called engagement level. And this is where I had faculty really reflect on what is the level of engagement related to the assignment? Is it passive? Is it active, constructive, or interactive? And I had um, a uh, worksheet that actually defined these different levels and provided specific examples to help faculty decide where on that level of engagement did their activities or assignments actually fall. The next piece or the next pillar of the model is collaboration. So between the instructional designer and the subject matter ex- subject matter expert, there must be a collegial positive relationship because we each take different roles during the process. In order for this model to work, we must work together to create this final product, which is a student ready, um, high quality online course. So in my case, I'm really working on the um, pieces of making sure things are aligned. And the faculty member is really bringing the content and what they want in the course in order for students to learn and reach the course goals. And finally, it's reflection. So obviously for faculty, they're really reflecting on that type of active learning that's in the course. And we're really thinking about how do we want to present the content and scaffold those assignments from beginning to end, especially if there's large projects, large papers, um, or any type of assignment whatsoever. On the instructional design side, there's kind of two different reflections happening. The first is providing feedback between the components of course, including course objective, instructional materials, assessments, and active learning strategies. But there's also reflection on how to actually work with the subject matter expert. No matter what, every course, every faculty member that comes and works with an instructional designer is different. And so an instructional designer must be very agile in the sense of how they actually create that positive relationships with the SME or the subject matter expert. So there's some lessons learned that I had from this application. Um, work on the course plan from both the subject matter expert and the instructional designer must occur consistently each week or during each check-in. Courses that stayed on track during this time allowed for greater reflection, alignment between activities and engagement levels, and opportunities for feedback. Without this consistency throughout the processors, throughout the process, stakeholders are unable to mindfully reflect and discuss the specifics of the course before the course is launched. Um, The other piece that I learned was that courses cannot be built directly into the learning management system. Stakeholders or the subject matter experts must plan or think about the course using the active learning course planning map prior to developing the course in the LMS. Courses that built that are directly built into the LMS can um, can use this reflection and collaboration piece, but it's not a true representation of the CalID model. And the reason for that is when we build directly into the course, we're often building things of, here's all the assignments, here's all the learning guides, here's all of the instruction materials all at once. And so we don't get to take a step back and take see a big picture of, okay, where is a constructive level of engagement missing? How can we add an, an interactive level of engagement? And so when we build it directly into the learning management system, we don't get a big view picture of the course. The other side that came out of my dissertation research is the faculty's perspective. So in this case, I was looking at how do faculty understand and implement ICAP principles and use the active learning course planning map in the development of online courses. So for this, the intervention was really um, that course planning resources that I described before. Originally, our course planning resource really just included boxes where faculty got to fill in here's the activity here's the reading they need to do here's how it aligns to each course and instead we added that engagement level but we also added very descriptive um, descriptors for each section to allow faculty to be able to read through that and work on their own and think more clearly about the course because it's easy once you're in a meeting to explain things but once we go separately it's easier to forget what was talked about And so we really wanted to provide as much scaffolding for the faculty as we could. The the tools of measurement, um, my participants included six faculty members who were part of the spring 2022 course design and development cohort at UNC Charlotte. Faculty had the opportunity to opt in um, and all faculty worked with me to design their online course. And luckily all six faculty members decided to opt in. And then myself as the instructional designer was also a participant. My data collection methods included a Likert scale um, post-intervention survey, measuring how the revised course planning resource had influenced the experience of faculty, designing and development learning experiences in partnership with an instructional designer. And then the qualitative piece was instructor interviews that were conducted post-intervention. For the consideration of reliability and validity, the post-intervention survey was actually an adopted survey, so this survey was field-tested by a group of subject matter experts, including instructional designers, familiar with the course design and development process, faculty, and researchers versed in qualitative, quantitative, and action research methodologies. These focus groups actually provided feedback to help clarify the questions and ensure the validity of the survey. For faculty interviews, I actually use um, intracoder reliability, meaning I reviewed the codes multiple times over a month to make sure that each time I returned to it that the codes were the same. For my data analysis, for my survey there was a 66.7% response rate. First data was downloaded and organized into SPSS, and descriptive cal- statistics were calculated including the mean, median, and mode. For the faculty interviews. I actually downloaded and transcribed using Zoom transcripts and reviewed them. I uploaded them into InVivo once again, and I did a line-by-line coding analysis using InVivo codes to ensure that the things that the faculty members were saying were actually in the codes specifically. And then finally, I did a focus coding to find common relationships and group these into major themes and categories. Some of the results that came out of this were the thoughts towards the active learning course planning map. What I found was that survey responses indicated that there was agreement towards the usefulness of the course planning map, and the faculty interviews agreed with this as well. Interview responses indicated that the participants found the course planning map to be useful, reflective, and a flexible tool. One faculty called the tool very beneficial and helped them push themselves to think about all the resources that are needed. The tool also helped faculty stay in Engaged, structured, and think about all the pieces throughout the course, including the alignment between what students needed to know, how students learned it, and how students showed their actual knowledge. It also allowed faculty to actually um, return to the map to review and edit each piece, while keeping the big picture in mind with ease. The next piece was the thoughts towards the active learning and ICAP framework. So ICAP framework was a new concept of faculty, but active learning was not. And so what the ICAP framework did is allowed faculty to be reflective and challenged as they went through and thought about the different assignments and activities that were gonna be in the course. The framework and examples provided to participants helped faculty integrate active learning strategies that they had not known were even possible in the online modality. There was also an impact on course design. Survey responses indicated that there was agreement towards the benefits of working with an instructional designer. Interview responses indicated that collaboration between the faculty and the instructional designer helped create alternative opportunities for learning. So an example of this is myself and the instructional media designer on our team actually worked to create interactive lectures from a very plain zoom recording lecture and we've created these into articulate rise scaffolding this course into smaller chunks of information. So in conclusion, we can actually conclude that the active learning course planning map, along with the collaborative work with an instructional designer, was an asset that helped in the planning and execution of the final online courses for the spring 2022 cohort at UNC Charlotte. So some further considerations to think about as I um, kind of sum up this dissertation is, there are some factors that could have led to success with the active learning course planning map specifically in spring 2022. For example, four out of six faculty had familiarity with active learning already, which really allowed us um, to dive deeper into the different types of active learning within the ICAP framework. The other side of that is three out of six faculty were actually education instructors. So they had really strong course objectives and module objectives, which allowed us to focus more so on the types of activities and assignments rather than having to spend time actually creating those objectives from scratch. Next steps that I would like to um, do are further studies are needed to determine whether or not the integration of the ICAP framework truly increases active learning and online course development. And then um, another piece of that is given the positive experiences faculty had while collaborating with an instructional designer, additional studies could also be explored, um, could also be conducted exploring this relationship. Um, we can also conduct a comparison of how different instructional designers collaborate with faculty members while using the active learning uh, course planning map, which could help determine whether or not it's the tool or the ID that has a greater impact on the overall course design, or if it's a combination of both. So finally, it's the contribution to the online learning field through this dissertation process. Um, through this process, I was able to actually propose this instructional design model and application. First, we improved a process within the course production team um, at UNC Charlotte, which is really awesome to see. We have really come together as a team um, to create that active learning course planning map and use that each semester now with our faculty since spring 2022. Um, some other pieces were that faculty were encouraged to reflect upon levels of student engagement. And this reflection allowed faculty to be more intentional in detailed which means that our weekly checklist meetings were really productive and collaborative rather than just checking in to say, OK, did you do what you had to do? OK, here's some feedback. Let's meet again next week. Instead, these conversations ran for an hour or more just talking about, well, I have this idea. How can we do this online? And so this positive relationship of um, reflect both of us reflecting on our practice and bringing that to each meeting was very powerful. Uh, in addition, I actually was able to continue with this podcast, be an instructional design star, and begin adding to the instructional design community and promote conversations to improve our work, which has been really, really awesome of how many people have been able to connect with through this podcast and just through sharing my stories as an instructional designer. So it really began my journey to becoming a thought leader within the online learning field. Um, Some future studies I would love to um, conduct, and feel free to reach out to me if you ever want to work together, um, is the impact of instructional design on student success rates and student satisfaction rates. As an instructional designer, any feedback we get from students is often indirectly given to us from faculty through an unofficial or volunteer basis. So we don't get to see the types of best practices that we're choosing and whether or not that's actually impacting students in a positive way. And so I would love to do some sort of study that connects the instructional designer to the student. So that concludes my dissertation study. And I just wanna thank you all again for listening through um, my thoughts and my reflections during spring 2022. And just listening to the final um, outcome of this dissertation. So thank you all again, and we will see you next month with um, back to our instructional design interviews. Thanks for tuning in to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. I hope you enjoyed getting to hear someone else's perspective in the online learning field. Hopefully their stories were enough to inspire you and show you that you're not alone as you're going through the process of creating a course, teaching a course, or even just learning as a student in an online course. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.